0: As today, in the thousands of years before writing, the most beautiful stories have been told in song. Poets would attach melodies to the stories of gods and the epic journeys of men alike. In all this time, however, no other musician has quite reached the mythical status of Orpheus. It is said that during his travels with Jason and the Argonauts, the sound of Orpheus's music would bring a halt to fights between the men, mystified by the sound of his lyre. Rivers are told to have reversed course toward the sound of his voice, and trees are said to have descended from the mountains of Macedonia to be nearer to the coast where he would play. The best-known story of Orpheus is that of his marriage the forest nymph Eurydice, its tragic end, and the incredible journey he made to see his beloved one last time. To understand Orpheus, his life story, and why his music is remembered so fondly that stories are still told of it today, arguably no better resource exists than the works of the man himself. To find the lessons learned in Orpheus' life, one must look to the songs credited to him. My name is Sean. I'm getting over a little bit of a cold. Welcome to Mythos and Logos. When considering his parentage, Orpheus's status as a legendary musician appears to have been destined by his nature. Orpheus is born to the king of Thrace, the land which today is shared between Bulgaria, Greece, and Turkey, and Calliope, the divine muse who is said to have inspired Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. As a spirit of the arts, no better teacher or inspiration could be asked for than a muse. This is why almost every Greek epic begins with a call to the muses, out of hope that their divine beauty and artistic talent would inspire their songs to be sung for generations. It is Calliope who teaches the young Orpheus play the lyre and sing, and her divine connection to the arts would be channeled in his beautiful music. This divinely inspired talent quickly earns Orpheus a reputation great enough to catch the attention of the hero Jason, who recruits him as an Argonaut, joining him on his epic quest for the Golden Fleece and his rightful kingship. In fact, Orpheus is the first man recruited to the cause. Before the master horseman Castor. Before the super-speeding Euphemus. Before even the legendary warrior Heracles. Also known as Hercules, of course. Jason's reason for choosing the bard Orpheus first soon becomes clear. A heated argument breaks out between the overconfident warrior Idas and the devoutly religious Edmon. And just before the men come to blows, they're stopped by the sound of Orpheus's lyre. The instrument, its sound, a blend of the guitar and harp, accompanies Orpheus's voice as he sings of the Titans who ruled Olympus in the most ancient times, in the days even before Zeus was given lightning. Orpheus's song of the ancient gods puts the Argonauts' quarrels in perspective showing them how trivial their concerns are compared to the greater universe. It is still told today how, though he had ceased, each of his comrades still leaned forward longingly, their ears intent, their bodies motionless with ecstasy. Such was the magic of the song he cast upon them. Throughout the Argo's epic journey, Orpheus's songs and arguments drive the men forward across the sea aid in their sacrifices to the gods. This speaks to more than just his talent, but to the magical power of music to grant us a fuller worldview. With his instrument and his voice, Orpheus is able to transform the beauty of the world into song, showing its dynamic yet harmonious, varied yet ordered nature. Upon his return from the Argo's voyage, The stories of Orpheus' music reach far beyond his native Thrace, even gaining the attention of a group of dryads or wood nymphs, magical forest spirits. One nymph in particular is betrothed to marry the Thracian singer, a young woman named Eurydice. The day of Orpheus' wedding to Eurydice, however, is marked by tragedy. During the celebrations, as Eurydice dances in tall grass with a group of nymphs, her ankle is struck by the bite of a hidden snake. Suddenly and tragically, on her own wedding day, Eurydice falls dead. Orpheus, naturally, enters a period of great mourning. The poet's cries take the form of song, moving not only the wedding guests, but all the creatures who hear them. With the beauty of his tragic song made clear, Orpheus dares to travel to the underworld itself, to sing it for the dead and the gods who reside there. As he descends to the farthest reaches of the underworld, Orpheus finds himself before the two gods who reside at its center, Hades and Persephone. Orpheus explains swiftly that he has not come to challenge the god or to battle one of the underworld's beasts, but rather to sing of love in hope that he may bring his wife back to the realm of the living. Orpheus sings that love, known by the name Eros or Cupid, is one of the most worshiped gods in the land above. And yet he looks around at the dark, gloomy sadness of Hades' realm, and he still sees signs of love's presence. Orpheus's song to Hades and Persephone is a story of a love which stretches between two worlds. It's the story of how, in ancient times, a beautiful woman was born to the goddess Demeter. The young woman's beauty would cause flowers to bloom and life to rejoice wherever she followed. And how a man from a faraway kingdom fell deeply in love with her. Orpheus sings of how the man knew He could never win her mother's favor, so he swept her away to his realm, where even the goddess Demeter could not easily reach. The song tells how, when Demeter finally arrived, her daughter had accepted the king's hospitality, having eaten six pomegranate seeds at his table, binding her to live with him for six months of the year. During this time, the flowers and plants would wither as the land grew cold, missing the beautiful woman until her return for the summer months. This woman, whose time in the distant kingdom would cause the changing seasons, was none other than Persephone. And that king was Hades himself, in his kingdom of the dead. As Orpheus's final note rings out, it echoes through the underworld. The many ghosts stop what they are doing to cry along with the singer. The Furies, restless spirits of vengeance, come to a stop at the sound of his voice. Even the eternal punishments of the wicked pause, granting them a single moment of rest, as all the underworld grinds to a halt, hearing the song of its king and queen. Hades looks at his wife, remembers their love, and allows Eurydice to return. To live out a full life, Orpheus is given the task to lead her, and is given only one warning that if he turns back to see Eurydice before they reach the land of the living, she must return to the underworld, this time forever. The Roman poet Ovid, in his masterpiece Metamorphoses, tells what happens next. They took the upward path through the still silence. Steep and dark Shadowy with dense fog Drawing near to the threshold of the upper world Afraid she was no longer there And eager to see her The lover turned his eyes In an instant She dropped back And he, unhappy man Stretching out his arms to hold her and be held Clutched at nothing But receding air Dying a second time now there was no complaint to her husband what then could she complain of except that she had been loved she spoke a last farewell that now scarcely reached his ears and turned again toward that same place whether it is a lack of trust over excitement or some other factor that causes orpheus to turn back eurydice is brought back down to the underworld Orpheus is stunned by his mistake, wishes that he had looked into the eyes of Medusa or a basilisk instead, which would have turned him to stone, rather than continue to live, having failed in his task. For seven days, he sits in grief on the shore of the River Styx, the border of the underworld. Unable to cross it again, Orpheus is also unable to move forward. Though Orpheus may have reached the end of Hell, He must stop looking back in order to move on. The Orpheus may have reached the end of hell. He must stop looking back in order to move on. If one's thoughts remain in that dark underworld, one will either be sent back or petrified. It is only by leaving the past in the past that one can truly escape the depths of hell. When Orpheus finally does emerge, he plants himself on the coast of Macedonia in northern Greece and continues to sing through his later life. It is during this time that trees descend from the mountaintops and people come from across the world to hear his music. Orpheus's songs in this period still sing of the gods, but in time a new theme emerges in his work, the transformative power. Of love, The heartbroken Orpheus, who traveled to Hades and back, comes to understand how the love of Eurydice changed him, no matter how brief their time together was. His songs, then, celebrate how love changes both the lover and the beloved. Orpheus sings of Zeus, but this time not of the power of his lightning or the celestial battles fought by the king of the gods. This time... Orpheus' song is of Zeus's love for Ganymede, a young Trojan who wins Zeus' affection with his beauty. Zeus, overcome by love, transforms himself into a great and majestic eagle. In this form, Zeus carries Ganymede to Olympus, where he is said to reside each day, immortal, serving the gods' wine. It is love, Orpheus sings, that moved Zeus to carry Ganymede into a new life. Love that moved him from Earth to the above. Yet it is clear that though Orpheus has moved past his lost love, he has not forgotten it. Orpheus' next song is of the god Apollo and his love for the mortal Hyacinthus. In this ballad, Apollo descends to Earth, meeting Hyacinthus for a game of discus throwing. Apollo throws the stone disc with godlike strength and skill parting even the clouds in the sky. When it finally comes down to Earth, its rebound strikes Hyacinthus on the neck and breaks it, instantly killing him. Apollo, shocked, rushes to the side of his lover, taken at the height of his life. At this point in the song, Orpheus switches from narration to singing the very words of Apollo. You slip away, Spartan, robbed of the flower of youth, and I see my guilt in your wound. I am the agent of your destruction. Yet how is it my fault, unless taking part in a game can be called a fault, unless it can be called a fault to have loved you? If only I might die with you, and pay with my life. But since the laws of fate bind us, you shall always be with me and cling to my remembering lips. My songs, the lyre my hand touches, will celebrate you. As a new-formed flower, you shall denote my woe by your markings. Though it is voiced through Apollo, it is easy to hear the voice of Orpheus himself behind these words. Even as Eurydice did not blame Orpheus for loving her and fearing that she had been lost, through the voice of Apollo, Orpheus comes to terms with his wife's second death. Both Orpheus and Apollo wish that they could die with their lovers, but instead choose to dedicate themselves to remembrance. As Apollo, a musician himself, dedicates his music to Hyacinthus's memory, it is clear to see Orpheus swearing the same vow to his beloved Eurydice. Where Hyacinthus fell, Apollo causes a field of flowers to bloom, immortalizing his lost love in their name, Hyacinth. And though Orpheus does not have the divine power of creation, he immortalizes Eurydice through his music, ensuring that her story is still told today. By still singing, Orpheus is able to channel the divine and transformative power of love with the metamorphosis of his grief into beauty. The story of Orpheus and Eurydice is one of the most well-known tales of ancient times, told as the tragedy of a love lost in a moment of doubt. However, for all that is told of the legendary musician's journey, a far clearer and fuller picture of Orpheus is seen by looking at his life before and after the loss of Eurydice. What many, both in ancient times and in our own, fail to see is Orpheus's rise out of despair to something greater. The ancient Greek philosopher Phaedrus suggested that Orpheus's love for Eurydice was not true, or else he would have taken his own life after the loss of Eurydice. Yet if this had been the case, Orpheus's songs relayed in Ovid's Metamorphosis would never have existed. These songs the beauty of love, and its ability to transform both lover and beloved, have carried on for centuries, and still inspire artists, poets, and singers today. Orpheus's works are proof that transforming grief into art is better than giving into it. Orpheus quite literally went through hell. He could have continued to be petrified, staring back across at the river Styx for all time, never truly making his way out. Yet Orpheus realized that he could remember his lost Eurydice without forcing himself to dwell among the dead. Only because of his choice to move forward was Orpheus able to create a memorial for Eurydice in his music, so beautiful that the trees themselves descended from the mountaintops to hear him. By choosing to live, Orpheus's life became a witness to the transformative power of love transforming his grief and depression into something far greater and more beautiful. Thank you very much for joining in another episode of Mythos and Logos. Um, If you're watching around the time this comes out, I would like to wish you a Merry Christmas or Christmas season. Uh, Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, um, Happy New Year, Solstice. Happy Day, whenever it is you're listening Uh, Thank you for bearing with me. I'm on the very tail end of a cold and am almost all better. I will try to edit out as many sniffles as I can during this. If you have made it this far, let me know. Is there anything in this that surprised you that you haven't heard before? Um, I think Orpheus and Eurydice, the tale to the underworld and back, is told a lot. But how Orpheus is changed by it is usually looked over. So... I'm very interested to hear if you've heard all of these stories before. Or maybe you've heard these stories, but not in this context. Either way, I hope to see you again in our next episode, where we haven't quite settled yet, but are definitely going to be looking at an Irish or Celtic myth. I'm not sure which, so if you have an idea, go ahead and leave a comment. Thank you very much, and I'll see you all in the next one.